From his first job flipping burgers at McDonald's and delivering the Washington Post, Craig Willett counts only one and a half years of his adult life working for someone else. Welcome to the Biz Sherpa Podcast with your host, Craig Willett, founder of several multi-million dollar businesses and trusted advisor to other business owners. He's giving back to help business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs achieve fulfillment, enhance their lives, and create enduring wealth. The Biz Sherpa. Welcome to episode 15. I'm grateful that you joined me today. We're going to talk about hiring employees. Now, maybe it's your first hire or maybe you've been hiring for a long time. We're also going to talk about firing employees. Now, we may laugh about that, but firing employees is also important to make sure you do it right. So I've invited for our guest today here in the Sherpa's Cave, Terry Bearden. Terry, I've known Terry for quite a while. Actually, she worked with me in one of my businesses in my real estate development business. She has a lot of background and a lot of experience. She's worked as an executive assistant, a good part of her career, and has really specialized throughout her career in human resources. Terry and her husband, Mike, are also and have been small business owners. They owned a Dunkin' Donuts business. So we may talk a little bit about that today and the differences between being a business owner and hiring somebody versus helping somebody who is a business owner hire the right people for their business. The innuendo and the difference may be very helpful to you. So I'd like to welcome our special guest, Terry Bearden. Well, thank you. It's very nice to be with you. We're glad to have you today. You know, hiring employees is a scary thing. I remember my first business as a CPA interviewing people, and I liked all four of the candidates that that a I was even happy that somebody would apply to work for me <laughs> and respond to the ad that I had for Help Wanted. But I liked all four of them, and I didn't know how to pick. How, what do you recommend? How do you start? How do you know where to advertise? And once you start interviewing, how do you know who to pick? Well, when, when you're starting to look, it's a lot easier now than it used to be. You're starting to look for an employee. Uh, you can go on the internet. You can do a lot of your advertising there. The cost is minimal, and you are really getting out in front of a lot of people when you do that. That's where most of the people are going now. So websites like Indeed. Indeed. um, ZipRecruiter is real good. CareerBuilder is good. Uh, There are even jobs that are specific to things like jobs with security clearances. If you have a job like that that you're looking for, there's a lot of resources out there and a lot of places where you can go. If you're working with a company like uh, Paychex, Paychex has a recruiting tool. So if, if your payroll is processed by mm-hmm. a payroll processor, they can do that? A lot of the payroll but, processors have those tools But available. what do you say? I mean, how do you know when you're looking for, let's say, for instance, let's start small with the first employee. How do you know what to describe? describe the job as? Do you have to put in the salary? I mean, what is a good way to advertise? How, how much information do you give? Do you tell what company you're, they're applying for? Do you do it blindly? What are some of the keys to, to putting it out when, there? When you first start out and it's a, a startup company, and maybe this is your first or second employee, you've really got to give it some thought before you actually get started. You need to develop your job description. Know what you're going to be looking for this person to do. Think about what it is you're wanting them to do. I just want someone to show up with a smile on their face (laughs) and be willing to do whatever the job requires. Then put that in the ad that you you are going to be posting. 
because the more they know when they're looking at that ad or that requisition, the better chances you're going to have of getting the person you're looking for. Right. So if I say you have to smile and they come in and they're, they painted on the smile, then I'll be able to tell. I think so. You might not be able to tell right away, but if you keep talking to somebody, and a lot of times when you're talking about interviewing someone or you're trying to feel someone out, you let them talk. You ask a question and you just kind of sit back and let them talk about it because they will reveal more in in their interaction with you than if you just bombard them with questions. Okay, what about work days? What about compensation? Are those things that you put in a job search? It's a, it's a good idea to put those in. Compensation, you don't have to. If you're going to put con- compensation, put a range. Don't put a, a specific salary because you're going to have people apply. Some of them may have entry-level experience. Some of them may be overqualified, but maybe the overqualified person, you feel like, boy, this is a good strategic hire. If I pay them a little bit more, maybe this person can grow into another position. So my business isn't Disney. And so if I'm starting out, no one's ever heard of me. How do I find uh, qualified applicants? And how do I draw somebody who's really looking, maybe looking for the more prestigious company? Present yourself as a professional company. Make sure that whatever it is that you're putting into this ad or this requisition, and your requisition is your job description. That's what it is. And when you do that, put your best foot forward. If you've got a website that you're willing to put up, put the website up. It's always a good idea to do that because they can go online and look look you up. That's really interesting. So that that's kind of your face forward to the to the world, including your website potential is right employees. Now, yeah, or if you've got have any social media. When I went to work for you before I came in for my first interview, the most important thing I felt like I had to do in preparing for that interview was to look up your company, look you up online, and see what could I find out about the company, the company culture before I even went in. Wow. I'm glad we had a good reputation enough for you to want to apply, but I didn't realize that. So good applicants are going to screen you almost as much as you screen them. Oh, yes. This is a two-way street. You're looking to hire someone, but they're also looking for a position. It doesn't automatically, it's not determined that you're the one that's going to make the decision. They have a decision to make as well. That's a good way to put it. I was just happy to get my first job at McDonald's. They were willing to pay. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really have any other choice. So. It felt real good when they wanted you and they were yeah, well, they willing to pay me. Yeah, I think yeah. So. <laughs> okay. Until you got the first check. Yeah. And it was a lot less than you thought it was going to exactly. be. Exactly. Yeah. I forgot what are all what's this FICA thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is that all about? Okay. How do you, so now you've got you've got to put your best foot forward. You've come up with a job description. You figured out where to place it. You're starting to get applicants. How do you even know to screen them? I mean, do you have to, do you interview everyone? But how do you go about screening the applications that you do get? One of the things that I usually do when I'm first looking at resumes for a position is if there is a five or six page resume, I don't have time for it. 
It just kind of goes to the side. Oh, really? Maybe they're impressive. They may be impressive, but they're also long-winded. <laughs> so okay. I, I just put those off to the side, and I'm usually looking for an application or a resume that is a couple of pages, no more than that, um, has maybe the five, last five to 10 years of experience. If I were to put my resume together and I went back as far as it goes, <laughs> nobody would be interested. So just look for that shorter resume where they're going to give you the relevant information, but not be padding it. Because when you get these long resumes, a lot of times they're just padding the resume. Okay. And so how do you drill down into getting so that they're more concise, but how do you find out, are there keywords you're looking for? Are there some other things that may stand out to where you realize they've done their, are there signals that you can get from the resume where they can tell they've done their research on you too? Yes. A lot of people, especially now that you have so much information available online, they will do as I did and go online and look up the company and they will tailor that resume specifically for that company or for that job. And when they do that, you can tell, they'll use key phrases maybe that you have on your website. Uh, They may use a title that you have in your company that's on your website that maybe that title is not something that's real common. Uh, They will find a way to make that resume resonate with you. You know, if you have goals or you have um, core values posted on your website for things that you believe in, and these are the things that your business offers, they will find a way to work those into the resumes. So, so let's say they're good at doing that, but that doesn't necessarily make them the top of the class no, for for the candidate. Right. So how do you go about the next step? So once you see that and you gather together, I don't know, let's say you have 20 applicants and you've screened them down to five or six, how many of those are you going to interview and how do you go about arranging those interviews? Usually I will try to keep it down to maybe four or five resumes, four or five actual interviews that I'm going to do. And I don't generally pick my favorite resume to do first. I'll usually do that one towards the middle or the end because if there's a resume that stands out to me, that's the one that I'm going to want kind of held back a little bit. So you I want to hold it back something too to compare long. against. Yeah, because you could make a decision. Let's say this this person worked out. You interviewed everybody, and this is the person you want to hire. You can offer them the job right then instead of knowing, well, I've got two other interviews, and they could be really good, so I can't make an offer to this person. <laughs> so I kind of rank them as to uh, the ones that I want to interview first initially and the ones towards the the end of the interview process. And also when you do that, you yourself get better at the interview as you go along. So when you get to your resume that this person really stood out and this is the one you're hoping works out, you will have gone through this a few times and now you've got it kind of honed in. So you get a chance to practice. Exactly. Oh, that's really cool. I like that tip. That's a really cool trick to have people focus on. Now, what kind of questions do you ask? I always read this, and so I'm I'm really careful. I'm really scared about today's environment, about the litigious nature of of the employment situation. So what are some things to ask, and what are some things not to ask? 
there, the things not to ask change as the political climate changes and uh, as just the climate that we're living in changes. Is there a resource ask, we can make available yes, to can, our listeners that they can look at? They hey, can don't go ask online. these. They mm-hmm. can go online and just type in resume questions or interview questions, and you will get a lot, probably 10 or 12 don't different ask. areas that you can go to and you can get a list of questions. I've seen questions uh, of not don't to ask, ask or, questions yeah. and questions that you can ask. Do you and have they some, usually segregate both of them. Do you have some favorites of what to ask? I usually like to ask what was the favorite part of their favorite job? What did they enjoy doing the most? And I also ask what they disliked the most. What was their the biggest problem that they have? Uh, how do they handle confrontation with either their supervisor or other employees, their peers. So what's one of the more standout or more bizarre answers that you've gotten to some of those questions? Oh, wow. I had one lady tell me that uh, her, the thing she hated to do the most was to arrange for travel. She worked for a company that did a lot of traveling, had a lot of executives traveling, and she didn't want to do travel. And she hated it because it was difficult and there's so many decisions to make and nobody ever likes the answer that you give them on when that plane is going to take off. And that was going to be one of the key components of the job that she was going to be doing. So finding that out ruled her out. So, but I like how you asked it though. I mean, I think the key, right, is if we're trying to learn how to do this well, we want to not ask, how do you feel about arranging travel? Ask them what they like least about one of their past jobs, right? right. And then if mm-hmm. that surfaces and that's a key area, they start to rule themselves out. Yes, they did. But on their resume, they'd look good, right? She, resume, probably had, she all had a this lot of travel, travel experience yeah. on the resume. But if it's something that she really didn't enjoy doing, do you really want to put yourself, your company, and her in the position? of her doing something she didn't want to do. Great. Well, you know, often on resumes, people put references available upon request. And while I can understand you're going to get 100 applications for a job opening, you don't want to call all references. But what role do references have to play in the hiring process, in your opinion? Personally, I don't put a lot of stock in references. And the reason I don't is because nine times out of 10, they put down the people that are going to give you the best reference. The one person that they worked with 10 years ago that couldn't stand them is not going to be on that list. Okay. Now, that's a great point. But how about making it a requirement? Is it possible as an employer to make a requirement that I need to speak with someone in your your, your most recent job if if they're not employed, if they're employed, that's a little harder to do, but is it okay to do that? Yes. I do ask them to give me the name of their supervisor from their previous job. Not if, like you said, if they're working, I don't go try to talk to them, but I'll go back to previous employers. And a lot of times, if you see someone with a reference that is giving their previous employer, they were probably a pretty good employee. Okay, great. Well, so you really don't check out references? We will check them, but we don't make our hiring decision 
on how that reference pans out. We'll check the resumes if they, if we are looking for a particular degree or certification, we'll check with the school or the certifying agency to make sure that they have what they say they have. Uh, but it's not going to be the decision maker for the candidate. What about, and I've seen this often, what about people who've worked places and when they leave, they ask for a letter of recommendation that they can take with them. And so they keep a, maybe a, a book or a small portfolio of previous jobs and what they said upon their exit. Is that, do you find that valuable? I find that more valuable than handing me a list of references. If somebody were to give me a recommendation from a previous employer on that company letterhead, to me, that speaks more than just giving me a list of references. So that might be something to, to yeah. have in there. Yeah. One thing that I've seen that might be more and more common that in today's environment is background checks and drug testing. Let's talk a little bit about that. If I'm hiring my first employee, it might seem expensive to me to go hire somebody from, I don't know, the CIA, the FBI to do a background <laughs> check or the police, or even just a simple drug test might break my budget. What do these things cost and how do you go about them? And what can you learn from these? And why? Oh, you-, you, can, you can learn quite a bit. You can have an employee sitting in front of you or, excuse me, a candidate who looks perfect for the job. But this person is going to be someone who maybe is going to be handling money or they're going to be representing your company in business development, um, whatever position they're in. If they are drug users, the only way you're going to find out is through a drug test. They can look perfectly fine, but that doesn't mean that they are. Criminal background, uh, that has really saved us a lot at the company I'm with now because we work with the government and we cannot hire someone or recommend someone to be put on a contract that either has a drug problem or that has a background that has a real problem in it. Well, and you work for a great company right now, Metris Global. They're mm-hmm. a premier government training uh, contractor. And right. so I, I think it's great. And I failed to mention it at the beginning, but I don't mind giving a plug in. Uh, hopefully Tom, yes. the owner, is not, not too afraid of me mentioning his company's <laughs> name on, on our think, podcast. I don't think he will be. And, you know, because Metris hires so many employees that uh, work directly with government and on government facilities, we have to screen those people. And when we have had somebody slip through the cracks, it has been a problem. So what do you do? I mean, how do you tell someone they failed a drug test or how do you tell someone their background check didn't really check out? Well, when they, at Metris, when we are going to be hiring someone they have to, first, we're going to offer them the position. And in that offer letter, it says that there's going to be a background investigation and a drug test. Oh, okay. So you do this we after have, you make an offer. We make an offer. You and don't we screen tell them, the applicants no, with this. Okay. No. And there are all kinds of legal reasons why you don't do that. Okay. You do it only oh, after you Good. I'm you've glad to know that offer. now and save all of our listeners problems. I probably would have yeah. done that. Okay. <laughs> So when, when they go in to do their, their drug test, that goes pretty quickly. We've had very few people who have failed. Um, I, 
Do you want a funny story? I would love a funny okay. story. When I was in uh, Louisiana, I worked for a beverage company. I won't say which one. And we had a gentleman come in, and he applied for a position with us. He was going to be working in the warehouse. And when he came in, he had the form filled out to go get his drug test. So he takes it. He goes to get his drug test. He brings it back in to me, and it's in a sealed envelope. And I get the envelope, and I open it, and I pull out the results from the drug test, and marijuana falls out on my desk (laughs) at the same time. And I sit there, and I just, I said, okay, good to know. (laughs) So I scoop everything back up, and I took it into the vice president's office, and I said, uh, th- he's not going to work out. And I just handed it to him. And when he asked the employee about it, the employee said that it was his grandfather's. His grandfather's his marijuana? His grandfather's marijuana. <laughs> so you, you never know what you're going to get. But if you offer them the position and then you give them the forms to fill out for the drug testing and the background check, then you're just real straight with them. Yeah. Later on, are these tests the background check and the marijuana expensive? It's, I mean, it's what not can expensive. We... You can you would probably looking be looking at sixty, depending on the company you use, sixty to seventy five for both. If you're just going to do a background check without drug testing, you're looking at thirty four, thirty five bucks. Now you can get. Where do you go for the to find uh, these? Can well, I just Google to find? You can out, Google or? to find it. We use Universal Background Company. And they do, they're very widely known and they do a very good job for us. So I could find their name online Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter where I live, I can. You'll be able to find them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We have uh, employees all across the country and they're able to service all those employees. Okay. Great. Well, that sounds like it could save you some, from some real disasters. It can save you from disasters. Yeah. Okay. And you can even, you know, if you wanted to spend more money. You can spend seven or eight hundred dollars and get a real in-depth background check. Wow, that must be for a really intense, that would be or for, critical job. It would be for, for a, an executive, probably a position where you have, or maybe somebody you're going to do business with. If this is going to be the type of relationship you've really, oh, need really, to know. for even a part, potential partner. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, hadn't thought about that. That's yeah. an interesting approach to it. Hopefully. You want to do business with people you trust, but if you're wondering and even have to check, maybe there's a, maybe there's yes, something. Yes, because but, you do have inklings of these things, you know. Right, yeah, you and know. you have to go with that sometimes. You right? have to go with your gut. You got to go uh, with I've your. I've done gut. that sometimes, and I've regretted it. I've done. I have not gone with my gut before, and I've definitely regretted it. Oh, okay. Well, it goes both <laughs> ways, I guess. Well, let's talk a little bit about, let's say, hiring the first employee is a real critical step, isn't isn't it? Because really, if you are there as the business owner and maybe you have a partner, you have your ways of doing things. And then you bring somebody else into the picture. Now you're creating a different type of culture. So what impact does hiring and the types of people you hire, how does it affect culture? And what, what do you look for when you hire to develop a culture with your company? Well, you need to really give thought to the type of culture you want to have in your company. If you're wanting uh, an open relationship where there's a lot of transparency, Metris Global is like that, uh, you want to make sure that this person is going to fit in. 
and we use what we call from the traction EOS model, get it, want it, have the capability to do it. So when you're interviewing this person, you need to really think about that while you're interviewing them. Get it, do want they, it. And have the capability, capability to do it, GWC. And you need to talk to them. So you to, should, you're recommending that, that as a business owner, I define mm-hmm. the type you of have to work environment I want, the type of people, or at least not necessarily the type of people, but the attributes that I want to be exhibited in the workplace. Yeah, you, you do. You have to look at that and you have to think about whether or not they get what, what is your vision. If you can articulate your vision to them and you can tell that they understand what you're talking about, they probably get it. Do they really want the position? And then do they have the capability to do it? That's interesting. I read an article the other day talking about Steve Jobs, and they said one of the great things about Steve Jobs is he was a great visionary. And somebody came, in fact, I think it was Tim Cook that currently is the president of Apple, and it was his story. He said, I came to interview for it. And he said, I wasn't really that enthusiastic about it. By the time I finished talking to Steve Jobs, I was wanting that job. Yeah. And he had the ability to sell me on that and on the culture and on the innovation. And and so you're right. I guess there's a way you can kind of help create that. You have, you have to know what the company stands for because you're not going to be able to talk to this applicant and make them feel a connection. There has to be a connection. When you and I interviewed, the very first time we interviewed, there was a connection that we had that ended up with me being hired. And it was a synergy that we both recognized at the time. This is somebody that I can work with. And I think that that. So that's what you need to focus on in the interview process is there has to be. How do I feel? What's that relationship going to be like? Especially if you're a smaller company, you need to be able to have that kind of interaction. The best employees that I have hired throughout my career have been employees who in that initial interview, it just clicked. You knew this was the person, you knew they could do the job, and you knew you would be able to work together. But you still should do the background check still and need the drug to do, test. Still have to do your due <laughs> diligence. Yes. Great. Well, what about hiring failures. What happens when you hire someone and you think you've, you thought you made the right choice, but for whatever reason, the circumstances with the company change, circumstances in their life changes. How do you go about undoing the hiring process? I guess very, the word's called fire. <laughs> yeah, very carefully. Um, you need to be upfront with them when there are problems, when the problems present themselves. Talk to the employee, explain to them what the problem is and what you're expecting to change. Make it a two-way street. You know, is there something I can do to help you? Is there something that maybe yeah, get out of my way? <laughs> yeah. Do you want way. me to get out of your way so you can do your job? And you know, there is a humility there in that as supervisors, we're not expected to be able to do every job. I have the vice president of finance reporting to me, but I can't do his job. He does his job. You're pretty good at finance. Yeah. (laughs) I know just enough to keep everybody in trouble. But, you know, you sometimes you do have to get out of their way. But 
when you've got a difficult employee or the relationship just is not working, act on it. Don't. Yeah, there's an old saying, right? Hire slowly, fire quickly. Absolutely. Fire fast. Absolutely. When you don't, you will have a situation uh, where you're keeping someone on because you think, oh my gosh, what's going to happen when they leave? Oh, kind of, what, how am I going to replace how, how them? Am I gonna or replace we're going to be person. shorthanded for a month or, or this so. this person is integral with this client, and we have to have them. I've yet to meet that person that was that important to a company. So you, you need to take care of it. If a person isn't working, deal with it. Because what ends up happening if you don't is you get a cancer that grows through your company. Wow, I think that's a great observation. I think back, probably mistakes I made in that thing, thinking more about what are we going to miss in the interim while we're trying to replace them. But you can usually hire temporary or hire outside experts to come mm-hmm. in to fill in that gap temporarily until you find the right replacement. Yes, you can. And, and when you don't do it, and it is a real problem in your organization— it can really cause you major problems internally that you you are going to have a long time to recover from if you don't take care of it. So I remember hiring my first employee, and you know, uh, when Carol told me that she was expecting our first child and she was having uh, some complications around that, I decided that she should come to work at, at my new startup business and. You know, it was a great thing because I knew I could trust her. I didn't have to worry about the drug test or the background check. I already <laughs> taken care of that. But what I what what I remember about that is it was a little bit easier on the budget. So it's expensive to hire your first employee. Mm-hmm. Not so much the background check or the testing or the time you take to interview or to advertise for the position, but you probably are going to face the cost of one, potentially making a mistake, but then you have to look at what are the benefits I need to provide Mm -hmm. to them. So if I'm starting a business today, what kind of benefits, even as a small startup, would I, should, should I have to consider at a bare minimum besides the employer part of the taxes? Well, you have to consider, depending on where you are, what the legislative requirements are for benefits. Uh, such as in Arizona now, um, we've got the 56 hours of sick leave when you have but a certain number over, of employees. But that's over 50 employees, isn't it? I think it's over it? 50 employees, yeah. yeah. Um, but you want to be able to offer them some kind of paid time off if possible. It doesn't have to be two weeks. It can even be comp time if it's someone that is working and you have jobs where you may need them to work 10 hours overtime. What about insurance benefits? One of the things I always did as an employer, and I knew it made a lot of people want to come work for our company, I paid 100% mm -hmm. of the health benefits. And that was something that you did that we have carried on with at Metris. And it's very important because insurance is very expensive now, and it was then. So the insurance benefits are going to be very important. People also but you don't ask need to provide them if you don't want to. That's up to no, a you culture. Don't have That's to a do cultural it. decision I yeah. made. You don't have to do it, but it is a draw. Now, one of the things, though, that your employees have to understand is maybe you're paying them $25,000, $30,000 a year in a salary, and then you're also paying another eight or ten in uh, 
800 or 1,000 in benefits, that's part of their salary. That's something they need to consider as compensation. Right. So it's really trying to define. So if you're trying to make yourself stand out against other potential employers who are also trying to recruit the same employee, Mm -hmm. you need to make sure you spell out, here's the value of our offer, not just we're going to pay you $65,000 or $75,000 a year salary. That's part of it. But in addition, here are the other benefits you get. And the total package is worth X. Yes. And if you itemize those out and show them what that is worth, a lot of times it can make a difference between them accepting a position and not. The proximity to their homes, you know, you're only 10 minutes away. Yeah, versus an hour commute. Although nowadays, yeah. how many people are really going to the office? But, yeah, very but, true. So, but how do you deal with that? Let's talk about that for a minute. How do you bring on new employee in, in an environment where maybe not everybody's going to the office every day? How do you deal with the right kind of training? How do you get them involved in the culture when they're going to be working remotely? Well, uh, very recently at Metris, in fact, when they shut the state down and everybody had to go home, uh, we had an HR person who was starting that Monday after they shut things down. Wow. It was her first day. So we made arrangements for our VP of HR to meet her at the office. They did their social distancing, but they went through a very quick orientation. She helped her pack the computer and all of the other things that she would need to take. And she went home and worked from home. But uh, the VP of HR would communicate with her almost daily through Teams, uh, Office 365 Teams. Uh, she also, I think, may have done some Zoom teleconferencing with her, and they were in constant contact. They did a lot of instant messaging through Teams or through text messages. They had email. You can do it. It's not easy, but you've got to think. You've got to know your job, and you've got to think about what it's you're not, asking them. Right. To you can't just expect to hire them and think they're going to go be a self starter, even though they're great at potential employee. Right. You still need to spend that time as if you were at the office, kind of having them report, kind of reviewing what they're doing, asking questions, how they feel, what what's challenging, what's not, right, and in this, and giving feedback to what you're seeing. And in this day and time, having teams available where you've got video and you've got you know your your audio, you can share files, you can share your screens. That made a huge difference with them. They were able to develop a relationship, albeit a long-distance relationship, for several months. And they were able to bring her on, and she was able to learn the job. And she's doing very well. It's probably harder to impart the culture, though. Let me th- I'm, I'm thinking is. back over my yeah. career, and I can think of a, a, a response I got the other day. I had invited a guest to participate in one of our upcoming episodes, and the response from the guest was, what do you want me to wear? Because now I work from home. I wear shorts and a T-shirt. <laughs> and I think they knew it was going to be done by video. And so I, I, I let them know what the expectations were. But I remember back when I had a real estate development business, and you were part of it, I would wear a tie. And I wasn't a fan of Casual Friday. <laughs> but I didn't say, I, I, I let it be the policy, but I would still go to the office and I'd wear a tie, you know, yes, uh, to yes, work. You did. And so... 
I was trying to create a culture because we were selling expensive office buildings and we were selling to business owners and I didn't want them walking in and having some of them, someone pitch them a million and a half dollar building wearing a t-shirt and a pair of jeans. So you know, I don't know if you remember this, Craig, but there was a period of time when we had a number of our um, employees who were not dressing as well as you wanted them to dress. And you did I say something about you it? were coming in and and you were wearing your tie, and we would have meetings and you would say something about ties or dress, and finally one of our executives came into my office and he said, Terry, is Craig trying to tell us something? I said, Yes, go put on a tie. <laughs> so there are ways to kind of communicate that culture, and even though we mm-hmm. live in a more distant world as far as contact nowadays, still it's important even in the the Zoom conferences and that to be able to prepare yourself yeah. for a, a work day. I think it puts you in a frame of mind to stand out how you well, approach your work. And I'm yes. not saying anything about a potential future guest and no one will ever know who this person is anyway. But <laughs> Well, one of the things that- Although that person will know. <laughs> one of the things that we have done is we have put together a telecommuting policy And one of the uh, stipulations in that policy is that think about what is in the frame of the video. Think about it carefully and make sure that it's appropriate. (laughs) Check it. You know, most of these meetings, you can check it. You can put up your own fake background. I could be look like I'm on the beach. Yeah, you can put the beach or you can blur (laughs) it out. But um, Think about what's in that frame. Hmm, That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. You know, one thing about being a business owner that I, a small business owner, is policies. You don't have to have too many policies. You probably need to have some. So when you said policies, I'm like, oh no, it made me nervous. It's my favorite thing. I I understand that. And it probably plays a role when it comes to having, as you hire more and more employees, so that the expectations are spelled out so that there's equal access to what that expectation is so Mm -hmm. someone doesn't feel like, hey, I didn't know. You need to have an orientation plan available for your new employees. And that needs to include some of your basic policies, like when they're supposed to come to work, what is the work dress? That would be a good one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. no kidding. Time to show up. Um, Spell out the culture as much as you can. Culture sometimes is not something that's easy to put on paper. But well, but I think it is. It I think you can spell out culture, Terry, by saying things like what your objectives are, what your values are, and what I think if you put yeah, are, if you yeah. spell out those core values, then people understand that, and and they understand how people are how they're to treat other people, including coworkers. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes. that's important. Now, I kind of want to move on and talk a little bit about going back to this first employee concept. How do I go about paying payroll? I know I was a CPA and I hated withholding and trying to keep track of that and then file the reports. Are there some easier ways for yes, a business owner to go about it? Go get a payroll company. Let the payroll company handle it. I love it. There I do are, that now. I can do it on my phone. Oh, they file all the forms. Absolutely. And I just have to make the deposit. Absolutely. Electronically, when, too. When we uh, went to Dunkin' Donuts University, one of the things that they kept oh, I thought telling McDonald's us, was the only one that had a university. Oh, Dunkin' Donuts has a big one. Okay. One of the things that the uh, instructors kept telling us over and over again was to hire someone to do our payroll and our accounting the first 
couple of years. Well, I was in HR. My husband was an accountant, so we didn't follow the rules. Uh-oh. And honestly and truly, it would have been much better if we had. Because that takes a lot of time. There's a lot of legal requirements. Right. And you might mess up inadvertently. And payroll. Yeah. Right. Without even realizing. There are so many payroll laws now. And, you know, one of the things, like I was saying, we use paychecks. Paychecks has a system in place now where a law changes somewhere. Our handbooks change. Right, so you can not just use them to process payroll, but you can use them oh, as your yeah. outside uh-huh. sourced HR so that you're compliant yes. as you grow. Yes, they have a very big, and I'm sure ADP does the same thing. They've got a, a very big uh, list of options that you can choose. It's not just payroll. You can do your hiring. You can do your terminate. They even take care of our employee benefits for us. I think that's great. Now, there's a fine line or maybe a, a big bright, bright line, uh, depending on how you look at it, between having withholdings and hiring someone that's a W-2 employee versus someone who gets a 1099 that's an independent contractor. Let's talk about that for a minute. And let me just give a little bit of background. As a CPA, I saw a number of clients of mine push the envelope to try to de- determine what a 1099 independent contractor was when they really exercised control over what they did. And they did that so they didn't have to do the payroll tax withholdings. If it ever caught up to them, the penalties are big. Mm-hmm. And so you want to be careful that you properly identify th- those that are truly independent contractors. If they have their own license, they maintain their own separate place of work, but do work for you, but th- but you don't control their full-time schedule. And so I think there's ways and there's tests you can look up online on this, and I don't want to spend a whole session on it. But let's talk about that. How do you determine when do you, you know, what's a W-2 employee and what's a 1099 employee? You, you have both at the current company you work for. Well, when we have 1099s, they're generally going to be people that may be working for us for two or three weeks or a month, and then they're gone. They may be And they have expertise. They have subject matter expertise. They'll have expertise. Some, kind, some kind of subject matter expertise, and they will be bringing something to us for a particular training contract or a consultant that's working for us on a very temporary basis. But if it's somebody that is going to be with your company for a prolonged period of time— like you said, there are real penalties to try trying to classify them as a 1099 employee. If it's somebody that you're going to be controlling their work time, they're going to be working, you know, 32 to 40 hours a week for you, don't call them a 1099 because they deserve whatever benefits there are as a W-2 employee, and it will end up haunting you later. Plus, you're giving them access to probably a lot of proprietary information. Wouldn't you rather have them as an employee as a rather than a contractor? Right, a contractor is general. They get the general knowledge. Maybe yeah. you sign a non-disclosure agreement with a contractor, but with an employee, there's usually non-complete, con- non-compete, right. non-solicitation or non-disclosure. Right. That's implied in the, in the employment relationship. Now, let's talk a little bit about um, evaluating employee performance, right? So how do you systematically or how do you go about it evaluating employees. I know you mentioned earlier you want to be open. It's a two-way street. 
but is there a periodic review that you recommend and and what kinds of things do you talk about in that evaluation? Uh, usually in, in the evaluation, we do that at least annually at Metris. And we are probably tomorrow, in fact, we have a meeting where we're going to be talking about this, and we'll probably start doing it on a quarterly basis. And the reason that we want to do that is we want to encourage our employees to keep improving, and we want to make sure that we are following what they're doing. It's real easy, especially we've got employees across the country. We need to understand exactly what they're doing. And with so much telecommuting these days, you need to be able to uh, double check what these employees are doing. And But it's difficult. You have to look at how are they responding to emails? Something as simple as that. Are they taking calls when they need to take calls? How are they with their peers? Are they able to work with their peers? Are they able to take criticism either from a peer or a superior? Uh, you've got to look at the whole gamut, not only their work performance, the technical work performance, but how they're getting along with others. Do they get it wanted? Right. So this should be a nervous situation for anyone. If it's an environment, we're doing this to improve performance, improve communication, mm -hmm. improve understanding expectations and, and your ability to meet the expectations. Right. Because a lot of times you're taking for granted that they may understand something that you are wanting them to do. And maybe they're missing the mark on it. Did you actually ever sit down and talk to them about it? It gives you an opportunity and gives them an opportunity to explore that and determine this is an area that we missed. And what is it that we can do to make sure that we don't miss this again in the future? I think that's great. Well, great. I think we've talked about a lot of great things today that would really help business owners as they embark on hiring more to expand or whether they're hiring their first employee to give them some key things to think about and some tools to use that will help them do better in the hiring process and have a greater chance of succeeding in having good employee relationships. And that first hire is important. And if that works out well, you have more confidence in hiring others. Yes. Um, when we talk about enhancing the chance for success, I have something that's the antithesis of that, that I always ask our guests, and that is, what is your greatest failure? But I don't ask it to embarrass you. I ask it to find out what you learned from it, because I think those lessons are some of the greatest lessons that our listeners and our viewers can take away each, every two weeks from our episodes. I would have to say that mine was in one of the first jobs that I had after I got out of business school. I was working for a plant farm in East Texas. And they probably had five or six uh, salesmen in there that were paid commission. Uh, they would take these huge semi, semis out and they'd go down to South Texas and West Texas and sell our product. Well, one pay period, I had this line of salesmen standing in front of my desk. And I said, well, is there a problem? I had left their commissions off of every single check. <laughs> oh, no. And they were well, all very gracious. Well, you're still alive gracious. today, so I know they didn't kill you. <laughs> they were all very gracious. But it, it showed me, because I was, to be perfectly honest, probably a little bit arrogant. 
Well, you and, just finished business school. Well, you thought yes, you knew I knew everything, everything right? right? <laughs> so I, it taught me that, you know what? You too, Terry, can make a mistake. And from that point forward, I did have someone just, would you take a look at this, make sure I haven't missed anything? And I think that that showed me that when you're dealing, especially when you're dealing with someone's paycheck, if there's another set of eyes that can look at it, it never hurts. Yeah. But I think you've applied that to everything that you do, because I think that's what's made you a great executive assistant, that you're still key and valuable with each company that you've worked for, is that willingness to have someone, hey, is this all right? Am I is it am I making a mistake? Am I here? am I in the right ballpark here with what you're expecting? Yeah. Or um, yes, please take a look at these numbers for me. I think that's an important characteristic to take away that you want to do well and you want to succeed. And the fact that you're asking for someone to look over or ask where can I do better in a sincere way with the the idea to to change what you're doing, I think. Uh, makes you successful. And I think that's a great attribute for any business owner. And I think it's a great attribute to look for in someone that you're hiring. Terry, I appreciate you taking the time. I know we've had Thank a long standing relationship. And some people say to me, well, why don't you go, why don't you interview some of the leading experts in the country on some of these topics? And I thought to myself, it goes against my culture. The culture <laughs> of my podcast is one that I want to deal with the people I like to deal with. And I found that there are people who may not be nationally famous that are every bit an expert and have every bit of the experience and actually have greater humor, greater life experiences, and a greater relationship. And I'm grateful for our relationship and that you would take the time Thank and you. join me on our podcast. Well, I appreciate it. And you know how I feel about you. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, this is Craig Willett. The Biz Sherpa, thanks for joining us in the Sherpa's Cave this week to talk about hiring your first employee and not making the big mistakes. We'll look forward to you joining us again in two weeks. Thank you. This is Craig Willett, The Biz Sherpa. Be sure to go to our website to access the resources related to this episode at www.bizsherpa.co. If you enjoyed this show, tell your friends about us and be sure to rate our podcast. Craig would like to hear from you, so share your thoughts in the Facebook community at bizsherpa.co. Follow us on Twitter at bizsherpa underscore co and on Instagram at bizsherpa.co.